Hi, I'm Mark Rodman. Coming up on Front Row, inflation hits a new 40-year high. Governor Cooper signs a state budget into law, and CNBC ranks North Carolina the best place in the country to do business. Next. Major funding for Front Row with Mark Rodderman is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Nicholas B. and Lucy Mayo Body Foundation, A.E. Finley Foundation, N.C. Realtors, Reifenberg Construction, and Stephen Gleason. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation, Don Vaughn with the Raleigh News Observer, political analyst Joe Stewart, and Donna King with Carolina Journal. Mitch, inflation is skyrocketing. Give us the details. U.S. Labor Department issued a new report this week, and that showed that inflation for the year ending in June was 9.1 percent, the highest level that we've seen since 1981. And it was even higher than expected. We knew inflation was going to be high, but people were thinking high eights, 9.1 percent shocked them. Uh, inflation has been steadily rising, except for occasional blips here and there since May 2020. So it's not the Putin price hike. This is something that's been happening for a while. Uh, within that 9.1%, that actually masks some much larger increases among particular sectors. 40% increase in energy prices over that year, 10% for food, including 12% for groceries. Now, this, of course, has had a, a ripple effect with problems on the markets, also an increased uh, chance that we're going to see some sort of recession. And, of course, the Fed is looking now at the potential for even larger rate hikes than we've seen in the past. So there could be a lot of implications from this change of 9.1% inflation. One of the other things to know is that the Fed has a target of an average of 2% inflation. Well, if we're going to get to an average of 2%, that means you need to get it much lower than 2% to deal with this 9% that we've had in this past year. It's going to be a problem. Don, is this primarily... Biden's energy policy driving this? Well, we're seeing energy prices are among the highest here. They're up 41 percent. Uh, gasoline prices are up 60. Groceries are up 10. Um, but I think we are seeing a lot of blame on that energy prices, on that energy uh, policy, because it's driving up prices of everything else. Wholesale prices over inflation are now over 11 percent, which means there's more pressure on producers to pass that cost to uh, consumers. And that's a real indicator that uh, that this isn't going away anytime soon. And even for cities, uh, a Wilmington City Council member was in on Capitol Hill this week telling lawmakers, look, we can't even get these capital projects done for our cities because things are coming in 100 percent over the original bid. Joe, how problematic in the fall are these numbers for the Democrats? Oh, they're terrible. Uh, Joe Biden now at 39 percent approval. Well, that's the worst of any president this term of his presidency since the Second World War. And it's even beginning to affect his domestic policy. Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia saying, not sure an additional spending package is a good idea at this point. Infusing the economy with a bunch of public money maybe would be contrary to what we need to do to stem inflation. But I think because Americans typically do vote with their pocketbooks, going into the midterm, this kind of bad economic news is bad for the Democrats and it's bad for President Biden. That's a good segue to Don. Uh, are wages keeping up with inflation? No. And if you look at the inflation numbers for the South, it's even worse. It was like, you know, well, high, still in the 9% range, but much higher than the 9.1. So, no, uh, the, the 
budget that Cooper just signed into law has raises for state employees, but not very high ones, and raises you know, across the board in the private sector aren't keeping up with inflation either. So people are looking at how much they make, and even if they get a raise, maybe not being so happy with it when you look at how much you have to spend on everything. Mitch, should we ramp up domestic uh, production? The, the president's headed over to Saudi Arabia to ask them to pump more oil. Which is certainly an interesting thing to see happen. Uh, one of the issues is that inflation is always a case of too much money chasing too few goods. So we need to have more supply of products, but of course it's harder to supply the products when it's uh, much more expensive to make those products. So it's sort of a vicious cycle. People who remember the last time we had inflation this high, 1981, what ended up happening is we had much higher interest rates and we ended up with a very tough recession at the beginning of the Reagan presidency. Donna, wrap this up in about 30 seconds. Are kitchen table issues going to drive this election? For sure. No question about it. I mean, I think that we have seen a lot of big issues that have that sparked passion in folks, Supreme Court, other things. But at the end of the day, they still have to go fill their gas tank every day, figure out what they're going to do with their kids' education. Some people are deciding private school may not be on the table. So maybe they're going to go to homeschooling. You know, these are everyday dilemmas that folks are having difficulty with, particularly if they're in a field in, a, in an industry where they have to go fill a delivery truck or you know work on the road. This is a really, really big voters issue. I want to change gears. Go to Dawn. The governor signed a budget into law, and he also had his veto pen out this week. Yes, he he vetoed the ice bill, which was totally expected. It's a partisan issue. And he also vetoed a bill that changes control of appointing of oversight boards for the school for deaf and blind. And this isn't the first time that the legislature has tried to take some control um, and give it to the legislature. So Cooper generally is against that, anything that, um, that, that takes it away from him, although a lot of Democrats voted for that bill. Let me ask you this, Mitch. What was the rationale in vetoing uh, the bill that asked sheriffs to cooperate with ICE? Basically, if you read the veto message, it says that Governor Cooper believes the legislature is just trying to score political points and that they're trying to uh, create fear by dividing people. So he's basically saying this is entirely a, a political argument. I'm not going to go along with it. Of course, the people who are uh, in favor of this bill have said, look, all we're talking about is for violent criminals who are in your jails and you're not sure about their immigration status, make sure that you find out whether they're legal or illegal. And if they are illegal, then the, uh, the folks from ICE can come in and take care of it. Uh, Cooper's response is, look, if they're in jail under a charge of something that's very serious, they're going to be in jail anyway. Why should we even bother with that? I think that's one of the reasons why this ended up being a party line vote. When it came through the Senate the last time, uh, Democratic senators knew there was going to be veto. They didn't even say anything. As soon as the bill was discussed for about two minutes, they all voted no, knowing that Cooper was going to veto it. Catherine Truitt is, is questioning and wants a veto override on the uh, the. Uh schools for the blind, she, correct? She was, yes. She, uh, she penned a letter to uh, lawmakers this week urging them to override that veto because she's, uh, Catherine Truitt being the, the superintendent correct. of public Thank instruction uh, for North Carolina, she said that this was a, a, a grave error on, on the part of uh, uh, Governor Cooper, that she really wants them to override this, that uh, this isn't the place where we should be, you know, you know trying to retain power, uh, that these schools for deaf and the blind really need uh, more 
oversight. She's urging the. Uh, does that have a shot for an override? Do you think? Uh, you know, I think everything does. You know, we'll see. It depends on how many how many uh, Democrats will be willing to break with Cooper and and vote to override. You know, we see this with you know the state budget. A few uh, voted in favor of it, even though it, originally the Democrats were going to vote against it, and then Cooper ended up signing it. So you know, I think everybody's looking at what's right for their districts. Joe, get, put this in context. Well, I think a lot of people believe that the governor would allow the budget just to go into law without signing it at all. And, and a little surprised that he went ahead and signed it, but it passed by wide bipartisan margins. And I think mm -hmm. the governor's observation that there was more good than bad in the budget was part of the... A lot the, of people wanted to get out of count and campaign, correct? Well, I think that's right. And in, in the uh, appropriations in the budget that are back into the districts of legislators, it gives them something to talk about and go back into their district and champion the cause of why they're a good representative of that part of the state of North Carolina, mm -hmm. because they're able to deliver the bacon back home. But I, I'm sort of curious if the governor's decision to go ahead and sign this is as much as anything to try to begin to get along with a legislature that he's going to have to deal with for the next two years and the final two years of his final administration with possibly super majorities. And so he needs a little bit of goodwill with the legislature, perhaps. So, in other words, you're thinking he might be a lame duck, right? Yeah. Right. Could be. Plus, we haven't mentioned the big M word, Medicaid right, expansion. Sure. Uh, one of the things that Cooper said in signing the budget Great was catch. he believes that Medicaid expansion is still going to happen. That has been such a goal of his that I think he's willing to go along with anything in the budget if he can also get Medicaid expansion. I think everybody knew that he was going to run the clock out. I honestly right. thought he wouldn't sign it. He would have just let it become law. Right. I think Republicans sure. did, too, and said as much. Nobody thought he was going to veto it, because the, there's not a whole lot right. in the budget this year. Right. But that Medicaid expen expansion, that really, what Berger said, what Moore said, what Cooper said, that's that's pretty much why. And maybe coming back the 26th to... we got to move on. I want to, we got a shout-out North Carolina mm -hmm. this week. From CNBC, talk to us about it. Yes. Well-deserved shout-out, by yeah, the way. Yeah, CNBC does a 15th year. It's done this now. The top states for business, North Carolina, number one. Interestingly enough, we've been in the mm -hmm. top 10, 13 of the last 14 years, so it's not as though we're a late arrival sure. to this designation. Uh, CNBC looks at a number of, fa of factors that the state uh, possesses to make this determination. They said North Carolina, it's robust job growth, public, solid public finance, and healthy housing markets scored it high. A few areas where we didn't score as well, the fact that there's no statewide anti-discrimination law by CNBC's calculation made us the 28th of the 50 states for life, health, and inclusion, and uh, 26th in the cost of doing business. So we have some places to work. But, you know, in the same way that Martha Washington said to George, you won the war, but now you got to run the nation, we, we've got this designation. What are we going to do with it? What do we have to make a commitment to to continue to be a strong place for businesses to come and grow? Sure. Mitch, tax Reform and regulatory reform were a big part of this, wasn't it? Certainly. The tax reform, regulatory reform, spending restraint that we've seen over the past decade, that's why North Carolina has been near the top, if not at the top, as it was with this time. To me, the most interesting thing about this was that CNBC really emphasized bipartisan cooperation as a reason for the number one ranking. But I found that a bit odd because, one, it was about incentives deals. There has always been bipartisan uh, cooperation on incentives deals, much to the chagrin of groups like the John Locke Foundation that don't like them. But the other thing was they talked about the, the agreement on the budget. And I think it was less the agreement on the budget and more what was in the budget, which was more tax cuts and more spending restraint. I think that's what the business is like, not as much the fact that the governor and the legislative leaders are singing kumbaya. Well, Don, year, Don, Don, right? Don, let me ask you a question. Is divided government working for North Carolina, you think? It seems to. You know, like I wrote about last year before the long drawn out budget process, which was still even shorter than the last budget process, that Berger, Moore and Cooper all decided that we're all still here. 
what are we going to do? And it was a long, hard slog to get to the budget last fall, but they they did it. And this one didn't have any new tax cuts. That's what I was saying about it being last year, that, yes, the corporate income tax and the individual income tax cuts are still in play because of the two-year spending plan, but not this year. They didn't They didn't cut taxes at all, which I was surprised mm -hmm. about. It wasn't in there. Now, the governor went on camera with CNBC. Oh, for sure. He definitely <laughs> was, uh, thank you very much, took a bow. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, definitely took credit for it. Who Never miss I mean, an opportunity. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, who wouldn't try and take credit for this, of course? Is he auditioning for another job? Oh, no doubt. No doubt about it. I think trying to raise his profile there for uh, down the road. But I think one of the things that's important that um, it, we, we elected a Republican General Assembly in 2010, which really shifted the focus, the goal of public policy from uh, what was spending more than we're taking in to focusing on rainy day funds and cutting taxes. And as a result, uh, taxes are half of what they were for corporations. Uh, personal income taxes down uh, 4.99 from 7.25 or something like that. Um, but one of the things that, uh, well, it's also important to note that we have an amazing workforce. We have a phenomenal community college system, good university system, and that's uh, attractive. One of the things that has not come up that I think is important to note about why we have such a strong uh, economy is that uh, Treasurer Falwell paid off uh, the unemployment insurance to the federal government. And what that means is that states that did not decide to pay that off... have a great credit rating, right? Uh, Absolutely. ...is our credit rating. And one of the, the states, California, New York, that did not decide to pay that off, the federal government is charging corporations in those, in those states more because of that debt still there. So, you know, managing the state's credit rating and lowering taxes and in addition to great weather and community colleges and universities and all that, the, it, it creates this formula that really drives uh, businesses here. Joe, wrap this up in about 30 seconds. Well, as President Kennedy once famously said, success has a thousand parents and failure is an orphan. So, of course, everybody's taking credit for this designation. I think the thing that's important to remember is we've been an attractive destination for businesses. Christopher Chung, who runs the Economic Development Partnership, the nonprofit entity that was created in the McCrory administration to help the deal flow into North Carolina, deserves a significant amount of the credit for what we've experienced in the last few years in terms of landing big deals in North Carolina. I think we're going to see this continue in the near term, but we've got to make investments to make sure that the infrastructure is sufficient to sustain this kind of economic prosperity. Donna, I've got to yeah. move on. I want to talk to you about a Gallup poll. I think faith in our institutions is really yeah, dramatically is really declining. Yeah, I think this is really interesting. So a Gallup poll looked at uh, polled Americans and looked at 16 different institutions. Of them, 11 Americans had less confidence than they did a year ago in 11 of those institutions. Now, these are institutions like the military, the presidency, the Supreme Court, uh, the media, uh, the medical fared system. well, though. Sorry? The military, military fared, fared well. well. very well. There was actually only two institutions that had more than half of Americans supporting it. That was small business and the military, but both of those were in the 60s. Um, so it, it, right. really is, it, it really is interesting. Um, but on average, they found that just 27% of Americans had faith in our institutions in general across the board, these 16. The highest, of course, was small business, 16, uh, 68. Only 16% of Americans had faith in newspapers. And I think that's an interesting thing because, you know, we're all in the, in the business of making sure we get out information. The lowest, the lowest confidence rating out of all of these institutions was Congress. 7% of Americans have uh, confidence in Congress. And that's really alarming. Yeah, but really the alarming. Supreme Court, Mitch, and the Office of the Presidency didn't fare well, and either did uh, uh, establishment media. That's right. Uh, both of those uh, organizations that you mentioned had big drops. They were still sort of in the middle of the pack with Congress, TV news, and big business at yeah. the 
very bottom of the list. But yes, there are some hits, I think, for the, the presidency. It's because of what we've seen from the Biden is it administration. Is the person that's in the office or is it the office of the presidency right now? I think it's the, both in the I mean, the, you've had two presidents that are not very well liked. Right. I think it, both in the sense that it is the office, but it's because of the people who've been in the office. A lot of people didn't like what Donald Trump was about when he was in the presidency. And now on the other side, a lot of people really don't like what Joe Biden's about in the presidency. And in the Supreme Court, I think a lot of that is a, a carryover from what we saw on the abortion case. Joe, are we self-segregating when it comes to the media, going to our respective corners? People who are conservative go to Fox, people who are moderate or liberal go to CNN, MSNBC. I think that's absolutely what's happened. We thought the Internet would be this incredible force for good in our world, that people would have an unlimited access to all of the information they needed to make informed choices and decisions about public policy matters. What's happened is people are able to make a very small pipeline of very specific information that substantiates a conclusion they've already drawn. And unfortunately, broad-based conversation and discussion has been sacrificed as a result of people's ability to not listen to anything other than what they feel reinforces what they've already decided. So it's decided. making for a more polarized nation. It is. And there's a book written uh, over 20 years ago, The Big Sort, by a journalist named Bill Bishop, who talked about this phenomenon of Americans choosing only to live and be among people they agree with politically. Dr. Michael Bitzer from Catawba College talks about 2,600 precincts in North Carolina. Only a handful are competitive. A precinct is a community of voters who live in close proximity to each other. And so people are just choosing not to have any experiences with anybody other than the people they already agree with, and it's making for a greater sense of divisiveness in our culture. Don, jump in here, wrap it up in about 40 seconds. Yeah, I think when you mentioned the small business and military still having those gains, a lot of people have a connection to the military and small business. And of course, how many people know a member of Congress? So it's, it's easy to blame Congress and to just keep that. But this has been a decline over several years and just institutions anyway. So I think that this year it's looking at taking a temperature of, of people in general and coming out of COVID, people are tired and they're really not happy with everybody, anybody. And so they wanna just stay in and where they're comfortable. And great that, I think rap, that's great conversation, I'll move on. What's the most underreported story of the week, Mitch? It's hard to imagine anything about the Leandro school funding case could be underreported because it's been reported so much for so many well, years. Well, you've never talked about it. Yeah, never at all. Never at all. <laughs> the case is going back to the state Supreme Court for oral arguments on August 31st. And the latest interesting development that is somewhat underreported is legislative leaders have asked Justice Anita Earls to recuse herself from this case. This case has been going on so long that Anita Earls was actually a lawyer for uh, one of the parties in the case back in 2005. And then 10 years ago in 2012, she wrote uh, a, a friend of the court brief in this case. So this case has been going on very long. Anita Earls hasn't been directly involved with it for a long time, but she certainly was in the past. Well, what are the odds she recruits herself, really? I, I would think they'd be very low, but you know, the, the, the guidelines from the state courts and from the U.S. Supreme Court are if you have been a lawyer for a party in a case, you're supposed to recuse. Dawn, underreported, please. Uh, it starts with actually something I did see reported, but I think there needs to be more of it. The LA Times had a really good story about this office worker who only just worked in his apartment, who was hired um, remote and just clocked in and out every day. And that's what his coworker said about him, that he did a good job of sending the email that he came to work and left work, although he just never left his apartment. Well, he died and they didn't find him for days. And I, I, the LA Times reporter did a fantastic example of, of looking at this specific person and his family and his colleagues, but also what it's like to be a white collar remote office worker now 
And so no interaction happens. with people, is that it? In, in that way, and really just having someone, you know, check up on you and, you know, are you okay? What are you doing day to day? And I think it also shows just the disconnect between the workforce and the type of jobs people have are going to get even, it's going to be even wider the, the more this continues, I think. Joe. Goodness. <laughs> I'm glad I go into the office every day. <laughs> Would you all notice if this chair was empty? <laughs> I'll meet you for coffee. Moody Analytics uh, underreported, I think, uh, 46 million Americans between February of 2021 and February of 2022 moved to a different zip code from where they lived. North Carolina, the third largest beneficiary behind only Texas and Florida of in-migration, principally people coming out of the Pacific uh, Northwest and Western parts of the United States and the Northeast. The challenge for North Carolina is the way this will impact our political landscape. These are people moving from principally blue states into what is ostensibly a purplish state. But we may see this continued growth pattern. Given that we're number one in business, we're going to continue to attract people here. It may change our political landscape in a way that we're not quite yet prepared for. You know, here's a little factoid for you. 3,000 people a day are moving to Florida. Donna? Mm -hmm. I can see that. Uh, so my under is that North Carolina's state health plan will now cover gender reassignment uh, procedures, treatments, and surgeries. Uh, Treasurer Dale Falwell said that the uh, state health plan is going to honor that ruling from a judge. There was a lawsuit over it. There had been, based on a rule in the 90s, that there would be an exclusion uh, in the state health plan coverage for gender reassignment uh, to treat uh, to, to, to treat uh, gender dysmorphia, dysphoria, dysphoria, yeah. thank you. Um, so that exclusion, though, is no longer going to be recognized according to a lawsuit and a judge ruling. Now, the state health plan does say that they are going to appeal that ruling, and they filed it with the federal court. Any other pushback? Um, I, not so far. I think that it depends on with the results of the appeal and, and what will happen with that. There's about 750,000 North Carolinians who are state employees or retirees, their dependents, who are treated under the state health plan. Okay, let's go to the lightning round. Mitch, who's up and who's down this week? What's up? Jail deaths in North Carolina, 68 of them last year, which was up 42% from the prior year. Uh, if you talk to the folks who represent the sheriffs, they say the numbers are very small and they still really don't know why. Uh, but the people who are sort of advocates for people in jails are saying that the, the, the sheriffs are falling down on the job on checking on these people as much as they should when they're in their jail cells. My, who, uh, my what's down? Gas tax revenue. The gas tax raised $1.8 billion in 2020, which is a lot, of, uh, a lot of money, but that money is not keeping up with the demand for what needs to be done to keep up with our roads, and largely that's because of more fuel-efficient vehicles. When you drive more in a fuel-efficient vehicle, you're not paying as much gas tax. That's less money to keep up the roads. Don, who's up and who's down this week? Up is the chance of Medicaid expansion. You know, I think everyone's been surprised and continuing to be, but it looks like it's actually going to happen maybe this year, the way that Burger Moore and Definitely Cooper are talking. Definitely in 2023, you think? Come on, come on. All right. <laughs> you know, the down. down is the press and the public's access to these meetings between the governor and the head of the legislature because we try to get in and it's a secret meeting. So we don't find out until they're, until they're done. So that's Joe, down. who's up and who's down this week? Who's up? The population of the earth is now over 8 billion people in a UN population study saying uh, that India may eclipse China as the world's most populous nation by 2023. Who's down? New York Times poll out saying half of GOP voters want someone other than Donald Trump.
Trump to run in 2024 for president. Looks like Trump's angling for an announcement officially that he's running perhaps in September. If it comes before the midterms, we may see some impact on that election as a result of the uh, president's announcement. Sure. Do you think he'll try to get ahead of the curve there? And what is the impact on the, uh, the midterms if he does that? Well, I think in, in Trump world, there's two things that they're thinking, that the president making an official announcement that he plans to seek office again gives him a better platform to defend the January 6th uh, committee uh, allegations that are being leveled. And the second is, I think he wants to position himself to be able to take credit a little bit for whatever gains Republicans make in this election. Donna. Donna. Yes, sure. My up is actually the North Carolina Green Party. It doesn't seem like they would be up right now, but they've had a tremendous amount of publicity, much more than they probably would have. Of course, the Green Party submitted uh, signatures on a petition to be admitted onto the 2022 and a ballot. Now, right? And it, it was rejected by the State Board of Elections, who says they're investigating what they say, uh, what, what uh, well, actually, the Democratic Party says are illegal signatures. The Green Party says no, they were harassing the people who signed it. Um, so now there's a lawsuit. The Green Party is suing the State Board of Elections, so we're going to be watching that, that very closely to see what happens. My down is Duke Energy. They've had two meetings so far this week. There's three more scheduled uh, about a plan to reduce carbon emissions by 2030 and go carbon neutral by 2050. They're really getting pushback on both sides of the aisle over this, and it says it just does not meet the state law. Mitch, headline next week. U.S. Senate's Homeland Security Group looks at weapons of mass destruction and health security threats. Dawn, headline next week. Gas prices may be dropping, but they're still too high. I think that's going to be a demand issue, don't you? That's why they're dropping? We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> Headline next week. Uh, as we look at the 2022 midterm elections, the big question after this is who emerges as the frontrunner Republican candidate for governor, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson or State Treasurer Dale Falwell? Sure. Donna. Interesting. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb on this one. <laughs> Russia is, I think, going to probably cut natural gas to Germany. So right now, Russia has a natural gas line that runs into Germany. They shut it off, saying it needs maintenance. Well, they're supposed to turn it back on in the 22nd, so a lot of uh, people are sort of uh, watching this very closely okay. to see if they cut off natural gas supply to the rest of Europe. Okay, thanks for joining us. See you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend. Major funding for Front Row with Mark Rotterman is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by funding for the lightning round provided by Nicholas B. and Lucy Mayo Body Foundation, A.E. Finley Foundation, NC Realtors, Reifenberg Construction, and Stephen Gleason. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.